Jesus Christ is known in the book of books as the King of Kings, as the Lord of Lords, and as the Rock of our salvation. Psalms 95.1 O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the Rock of our salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14.6 Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is God's creator. Hebrews 1, verse 2. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Colossians 1, verse 16. For by him were all things created, that are in heaven, and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. He came to save us from Satan's dungeons of darkness, from our own hurtful lust, and to set us up on the highway of light. Proverbs 4.18, For the path of the just is as the shining light, that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The unsaved sit in darkness and know not at what they stumble, Proverbs 4.19. We were born into sin's darkness. Those born into this darkness fumble around in the dark, never sure of what one has stumbled over. It's true. We were born in sin, and that is not our fault. However, if we choose to remain there, after God has offered a way of escape, it does become our fault. Deliverance from death's dungeons is being offered to all who will receive it at this very minute. Dear visitor, have you been born again as Jesus revealed in John 3, 3? Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Will you continue to stumble in the darkness? Would you like to know where you came from, why you are here, and where you're going? In a mere moment, your blind eyes will be opened, and your deaf ears will hear. In just a moment, if you follow me in a simple prompt, everything will change for you. All of your sin and shame will be expunged from your record. All of Satan's bondages will be broken. You will be clean and free. Your eternal soul is in your own hand. Here is the prompt I promised. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now, hallelujah for today's subject. God said Psalms 96, 4 and 5. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. God said, Isaiah 41, 21 through 23. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that ye are God's. Yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. God said, Psalms 19, verse 9, 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Man said, We received the following email from J.W. summarized below. How can we say Christianity is true and all other religions false or erroneous? If it all comes down to stories written thousands of years ago that have no scientific backing or other verifying proof for any religion at all, then wouldn't it be hypocritical to claim that one religion is truer than another? All religions have their holy men and women, their great thinkers or prophets, their miracles and more common touch points. At the end of the day, Christianity really has no more proof than Islam that it is the right religion and no less proof either. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 1055, that again will certify by highly credible third-party attestation that God's Word is true and righteous altogether from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. All of these faith-building features are archived here in text and streaming audio for your edification and as ammunition in the battle for the lost souls of men. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for visiting. May God's face shine upon you with light and truth. This is part two of the answer to J.W.'s questions. In the first feature, due to the tenor of J.W.'s questions, we question whether he had a born-again experience, the greatest miracle a man can know, or whether he was baptized in the Holy Ghost, God's supernatural teacher in memory, Romans eight twenty six and 27. All of the JWs tuned in last week were directed to further with Jesus, to repent of their sins and to surrender their lives to Christ. After they were invited to visit the Holy Ghost series to participate in the second greatest miracle a man can know, at this place, they will have a proof far above man's best carnal knowledge, a proof that needs no other confirmation. The tenor of all questions changes at this point. But be advised, the questions J.W. originally posed are easily addressed and to the great satisfaction of the natural mind. The great debate has always been whether God's word is true. Keep in mind it's a battle over words. In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, Satan offered one word and a question mark to rob the first woman, MTDNA Eve, and the first man, Y-chromosome Adam, of their immortality and paradise. Consider the discourse in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The devil challenges God's word. If you remove one word, hath, and the question mark from verse 1, Satan would have offered our great-grandmother the truth and said, Yea, God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Just one word and a question mark caused the graveyards to fill and the law of sin and death to pollute the earth.
the religious reformer Martin Luther made popular the phrase sola scriptura, which means in Latin, scriptures alone. This principle was clearly laid out thousands of years prior when the children of Israel were instructed in Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. We also find a severe admonition in the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. J.W., everything is a matter of words. Your DNA itself, which was spoken into existence out of that which is invisible by your Creator, gives its building instructions to the body via a four-letter alphabet, forming letters, words, sentences, paragraphs, chapters, and volumes. Secular science was floored when they discovered this, and they called DNA the book of life. Imagine, 3,000 years before these scientists began to understand this book of life, God declares it in the actual book of life, Psalms 139, 14 through 16. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Quite a strange grouping of words, wouldn't you say? These words were considered very strange until the mid-1900s when DNA began to be understood. Truly, everything is made of God's words. Words are life's entire focus from the molecular level and forward. Proverbs 18.21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. The accuracy of this passage is staggering. It is true. Words are spiritual, and when read or spoken aloud, things are put in motion, either for good or for evil. I choose. Words are so amazingly pivotal, as you find in this passage, you'll find in Psalms 138, 1 and 2, I will praise thee with my whole heart before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Words are not simply printer's ink and paper. Words are spiritual. Did you know that you can capture the spirit of an issue by writing it on a piece of paper? Try it. Then take that piece of paper, put it into a bottle, and cast it out into the sea. 2,000 years later, when someone fishes that bottle out of the water and reads the message, the essence of that spiritual message is released and lives again. When you read God's Word written thousands of years ago, these words are quickened, made alive by the Holy Ghost. They live on. 
Consider these word verses, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Revelation nineteen thirteen, And He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and His name is called the Word of God. J.W., the Word is God. Men have always had a hard time identifying truth. The trouble stems from the fact that man's truth of today debunks his truth of yesterday, and his truth of tomorrow will debunk his truth of today. The obvious reason for this phenomenon is that man's truth is not real truth. Real truth never changes. In the 1828 American Dictionary of the English Language, Noah Webster defines truth. One, conformity to fact or reality, exact accordance with that which is or has been or shall be. The truth of history constitutes its whole value. We rely on the truth of the scriptural prophecies. My mouth shall speak truth, Proverbs chapter 8. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, John chapter 17. Attributes of the truth. Truth has a source, and it never changes. Malachi 3, 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Truth knows no opinion, and respects none, not Buddhas or Mohammeds, etc. Truth is ageless. Truth seeks no companions. Truth stands alone in need of none. Truth does not seek consensus. Truth is not dictated by time, but truth defines it. Truth has zero tolerance. Two plus two equals four. 3.9999 won't do. Truth is found in God's person. John 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And this living truth never changes. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. J.W. wants us to come to this battle of words without our weapon, the Holy Bible, but that would miss the whole point entirely. God's living words, spoken in pen thousands of years ago, have been vociferously challenged and maligned by Satan initially, and then by his brightest champions, but all have failed without exception. Let me underline that, without exception. When today's vaunted science begins to understand a specific issue, they are shocked to discover that the so-called unsophisticated children of faith are already there to greet them with their banners unfurled, and they were there 20 to 60 centuries before them. The inerrancy of the Bible is the entire issue, and everything and everybody hangs on its every word, regardless of if they realize it or not. The reality that the Bible, written thousands of years ago, reigns supremely over its chronic challengers is proof and credentials of a heavenly sort. God said, man said, uses a four-proof platform to establish the supernatural inerrancy of the Holy Bible. On the navigation bar to your left, those four proofs are listed. The first category is archaeology which in addition to archaeology includes paleontology, geology, ancient history, 
and societal records. This category confirms the biblical ancient record of the history of time from the very beginning. The book Christianity for Skeptics, authored by doctors Steve Kumar and Jonathan Sarfati, has the following to report about archaeology. It has been widely said that every time the spade goes into the ground, a liberal theory is buried. The world-renowned archaeologist and paleographer Dr. William F. Albright of Harvard University rightly points out, the excessive skepticism shown toward the Bible by important historical schools of the 18th and 19th centuries, certain phases of which still appear periodically, has been progressively discredited. Dr. James Johnsey, Australian church historian, fully agrees with the above conviction when he declares, in almost every area where the Bible was criticized on subjective or theorizing grounds, it has already been vindicated on this objective basis. Using the Bible as a guide, the renowned Jewish archaeologist Nelson Gluick has discovered over a thousand ancient sites in Transjordan and 500 more in the Negev. And writing a review on Warner Keller's best-selling book, The Bible is History, the New York Times Professor Gluick states, the reviewer has spent many years in biblical archaeology and in company with his colleagues has made discoveries confirming in outline or in detail historical statements in the Bible. He is prepared to go further and say that no archaeological discovery has ever been made that contradicts or controverts historical statements in Scripture. Donald J. Wiseman, the director of the British Museum and a specialist in the field of archaeology, informs us that the geography of the Bible lands and visible remains excuse me, of antiquity were gradually recorded until today more than 25,000 sites within this region and dating to Old Testament times in their broadest sense have been located, end of quotes. In the book Evidence for the Historical Jesus, written by McDowell and Wilson, you'll find the following under the chapter heading Evidence from Archaeology. Miller Burroughs of Yale, not a conservative Christian, wrote, The Bible is supported by archaeological evidence again and again. On the whole, there can be no question that the results of excavation have increased the respect of scholars for the Bible as a collection of historical documents. The confirmation is both general and specific. The fact that the record can be so often explained or illustrated by archaeological data shows that it fits into the framework of history as only a genuine product of ancient life could do. In addition to this general authentication, however, we find the record verified repeatedly at specific points. Names of places and persons turn up at the right places in the right periods. In considering the historical reliability of the gospel accounts, archaeology can be very useful. First, it confirms names, places, times, and events as being accurately reported in the gospel record. Joseph Free in Archaeology and Bible History states that archaeology has confirmed countless pages which have been rejected by critics as unhistorical or contradictory to known facts. 
One of the world's most renowned archaeologists, Dr. Elliot Mazur, had this to say concerning her confidence in the Bible's history. Mazur, who was both revered and reviled by some of her colleagues for being a biblical archaeologist, says that the Bible is unquestionably the most important historical source for her work since it contains a genuine historical account of the past. I work with the Bible in one hand and the tools of excavation in the other, she says. The Bible is the most important historical source. End of quotes. The archaeology category proves the perfect accuracy of the Word of God, miracles and all. Proof category number two is prophecy. The Bible is laden with prophecies of future events that friend and foe alike can examine. In the prophecy category, God said, man said, uses the established laws of mathematical probability to certify the supernatural authorship of the Word of God. In the Bible, God lays out this proofing principle in Isaiah 41, 21 through 23. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know ye are gods. Yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. Dr. G. R. Jeffrey authored the book, Jesus, the Great Debate. He writes the following concerning the laws of probability, setting the stage for his review of just 17 of the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ, with the earliest being penned four centuries before his birth in Bethlehem. Jeffrey writes, The study of statistics includes the theory and laws of mathematical probability. This theory states that if the probability of a single event occurring randomly is one chance in five, and the probability of another event occurring is one chance in ten, then the combined probability that both events will occur together in sequence is five multiplied by ten. Thus, the combined chance of both events occurring in sequence is one chance in fifty. To put this in a perspective we can appreciate, consider the odds when we toss a coin in the air. Since a coin has two sides, the odds are 50%, or one chance in two, that you will get heads. However, suppose you toss two coins in a row. What are the odds against getting heads twice? The answer is only one chance in four. The combined odds are two plus two times two, which equals four. The odds against you tossing ten coins in a row and getting ten heads, one after another, are so large that it would happen by random chance only once in approximately 1,000 attempts. According to the laws of probability, the precise odds against getting ten heads in a row are one chance in 1,024. Dr. Jeffrey refers to 48 major prophecies concerning Jesus Christ, which would include Jesus Christ being born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem, whose name means house of bread. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, New Testament, Matthew 2, 1. Jesus Christ being betray betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Old Testament, Zechariah eleven twelve. New Testament, Matthew 20, 26, 15. Jesus' hands and feet being pierced. 
Old Testament, Psalms 22, verse 16, Luke 23, 33. They would gamble for his garments, Psalms 22, verse 18, New Testament, John 19, 23, and 24. Dr. Jeffrey catalogs 17 of the 48 major prophecies, and then he writes, This analysis has shown that 17 detailed prophecies, which were written more than four centuries before the birth of Christ, were fulfilled with absolute precision during the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The question we need to consider is this. What are the chances that all 17 of these predictions occurred by chance in the life of a single man rather than by the divine plan of God? The combined probability against these 17 predictions occurring is equal to one chance and 48 billion times one billion times one trillion. In other words, there is only one chance in 480 billion times 1 billion times 1 trillion that the Old Testament prophets could have accurately predicted these 17 specific prophecies. Regardless of the individual estimates for probability we assign to these 17 separate predictions, we are still confronted with a combined probability, so staggering in its magnitude, that it is highly improbable that these events occurred by chance to one person. In the unlikely event that you still are not convinced, consider the fact that we have examined only 17 of the 48 major prophecies given in the Old Testament about the promised Messiah. Some Bible critics, such as Professor U.J. Schoenfeld, have suggested that Jesus of Nazareth as a rabbi naturally knew about these predictions and simply arranged the events of his life to fulfill these specific prophecies. But how would you arrange to be born in Bethlehem? How would you manage to be born into the tribe of Judah? How would you make sure that the price of your betrayal would be precisely 30 pieces of silver? How would you arrange to be crucified with thieves? How would a crucified man arrange to have his enemies gamble for his garments? The truth is that, If you could arrange all of these things, you would have to be the Son of God. Hilbert von Erlenberg writes in his book, Islam from the Viewpoint viewpoint, of the Bible. Is there such a thing as absolute truth? Yes, we find it in the Bible. It is the only book in the history of the world to carry the divine seal of truth. Its truth may be demonstrated with mathematical certainty on the basis of the over 3,000 already fulfilled prophecies it contains. It is impossible for this high number of prophecies to be fulfilled by coincidence, that is, without God's action, since the calculated probability of this is only 1.7 times 10 to the 984th power, (laughs) or 0.0000000, followed by another 973 zeros, then 000017. Crazy, right? In physics, an occurrence with a probability of 10 to the 28th power is already regarded as impossible for all practical purposes. Since no religion can furnish such a scientific verification, we can be certain that only the Bible passes the acid test when it comes to the truth. End of quotes. Prophecy establishes the full Holy Ghost bona fides of God's Holy Bible. 
Proof category number three is where this website takes its name, God Said, Man Said. Foundational to this category is the immutable law of sowing and reaping, Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. When God's word is mocked and neglected, and unbelief and disobedience is sown, the end result is always death. A fundamental key to this truth is the law of blessing and cursing. Because God's words are the inerrant truth, obeying them yields the blessing of doing the right thing. Because God's words are the inerrant truth, disobeying them yields the curse of doing the wrong thing. It is just that simple. In this category, a commandment or precept declared in the Bible is cited. This is God said. Man's response, man said, the refusal to follow God's declared commandments or precepts follows. The results of man's response to God's word is reviewed. God said, man said, houses nearly 900 examples of the immutable law of sowing and reaping, and the information from the global field study of man's disregard for the word of God rose in daily. Despite the constant flood of man's attacks against the scriptures, the holy book has been upheld time and time again, and that's without exception. Thousands of years, J.W., before the academics began to comprehend, God is already there. J.W. alleged that there was no scientific backing to support the Bible. We were taken aback. Are you serious? In the God Said, Man Said category, you'll find 886 and counting, features vindicating the veracity of God's Word from diet to devils, from outer space to man's molecular structure. Be advised, the science is truly in, and it all shouts God. One example that is affecting every home on the globe is the COVID virus, which is very deadly, a very deadly curse that is the direct result of rejecting God's Word. Remember, you must reap what you sow. In the Scriptures, God commands us not to eat or handle numerous unclean creatures, and the bat, the progenitor of COVID virus, is front and center. Leviticus eleven thirteen through 20. And these are they which ye shall have in abomination among the fowls. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle and the osprey and the osprey and the vulture and the kite after his kind. Every raven after his kind and the owl, and the night hawk, and the cuckoo, and the hawk after his kind, and the little owl, and the cormorant, and the great owl, and the swan, and the pelican, and the gear eagle, and the stork, the heron after her kind, and the lapwing, and the bat. All fowls that creep going on all four shall be an abomination unto you. We are commanded not to touch their carcasses, in China, the origin of the COVID virus, the bat is not only handled, but eaten as well. This global curse came in on the back of the bat. One cannot disregard the word of God without the obligatory curse. It's the immutable law of sowing and reaping. Where's the science, J.W.? It's everywhere, and so much more than you could imagine. God said, man said, now you have the record. The final category, number four, is the historicity of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that some carnal academics go so far 
as to purport that there was no Jesus Christ. The following excerpts are from Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. That was also the assessment of Sir Lionel Laku, the brilliant and savvy attorney, whose astounding 245 consecutive murder acquittals earned him a place in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's most successful lawyer. Knighted twice by Queen Elizabeth, this former justice and diplomat subjected the historical facts about the resurrection to his own vigorous analysis for several years before declaring, I say unequivocally, that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. In his interview with J.P. Moreland, Ph.D. and philosopher with a chemistry degree, theologist, teacher, and prolific author, Strobel continues, There's one other category of evidence you haven't asked about, Moreland remarked. My mind reviewed um, our interview. I give up. I said, what is it? It's the ongoing encounter with the resurrected Christ that happens all over the world in every culture to people from all kinds of backgrounds and personalities, well-educated and not, rich and poor, thinkers and feelers, men and women, he said. They all will testify that more than any single thing in their lives, Jesus Christ has changed them. Mordlin leaned forward for emphasis. To me, this provides the final evidence, not the only evidence, but the final confirming proof that the message of Jesus Christ can open the door to a direct encounter with the risen Christ. End of quotes. One of the biblical accounts of Christ's crucifixion that raises the eyebrows of God's critics is found in the Gospels, and it is in regard to the darkness that set over the crucifixion from the sixth hour, noon, until the ninth hour, three o'clock. Luke twenty-three forty-four through 46. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Skeptics howl, but history does not. The following excerpts are from J. Argerbright's book, Bible Believers' Archaeology. The first reference found outside of the Bible mentioning this darkness which fell over the land during the crucifixion of Jesus Christ comes from a Samaritan historian named Thallus who wrote around 52 A.D. His history was quoted by another early writer by the name of Julius Africanus who researched the topic of this darkness and wrote the following. Upon the whole world there came a most fearful darkness. Many rocks were split in two by an earthquake, and many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. It seems very unreasonable to me that Thallus, in the third book of his histories, would try to explain away this darkness as an eclipse of the sun. For the Jews celebrate their Passover on the fourteenth day according to the moon, and the death of our Savior falls on the day before the Passover. 
But an eclipse of the sun can only take place when the moon comes under the sun. How then could an eclipse have occurred when the moon is directly opposite the sun? Scientifically, it is impossible to have a full moon on the same day that there is an eclipse of the sun. Another first-century historian who also mentions this darkness was Phlegon, who wrote a history entitled the Olympiads. Julius Africanus mentioned the quote taken from the Olympiads, which said, Phlegon records that in the time of Tiberius Caesar, at full moon, there was a full eclipse of the sun from the sixth hour until the ninth. It is evident that he did not know of any such events in previous years. Phlegon is also mentioned by Origen in his book, Against Celsus, Book 2. The darkening of the sun took place at the times of Tiberius Caesar, in whose reign Jesus was crucified, and the great earthquakes which also took place. Phlegon, I believe, has written an account in the 13th or 14th book of his Chronicles, end of quote. The historians are not the ones who challenge Jesus Christ. The record is clear, J.W. Archaeology shouts yes. Prophecy certifies yes. God said, man said, verifies the proof of reaping what you sow. The results from the field study are in. The historicity of Jesus Christ absolutely confirms yes. The whole issue is a matter of words because everything and everybody is made of God's spoken words. People all over the earth visit God said, man said, and read God's words, and their lives are miraculously changed in mere moments. This spiritual transformation puts real physical things into motion. Even the physical structure of the human brain changes, which science now knows as neuroplasticity. The students of the book know it as Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's true. Imagine. Change form. Is it Islam or Buddha or Charles Darwin that can stand up against the harsh scrutiny of the truth? The answer is no. Jesus said you will know a tree by its fruits. Matthew twelve thirty three. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. The fruit tells the story. Check the fruit. J.W. God said, Psalms 96, 4 and 5, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. God said, Isaiah 41, 21 through 23, Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things what they be, that we may consider them, and know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that ye are gods, yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. God said, Psalms 19, verse 9, 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Man said, according to J.W., How can we say Christianity is true and all other religions false or erroneous? If it all comes down to stories written thousands of years ago that have no scientific backing or other verifying proof for any religion at all, then wouldn't it be hypocritical to claim that one religion is truer than another? All religions have their holy men and women, their great thinkers or prophets, their miracles and more common touch points. At the end of the day, Christianity really has no more proof than Islam that it is the right religion and no less proof either. Fat chance, J.W. Now you have the record.